Welcome, everyone, to Free Markets Green Earth, episode number 26. I am Nikki P here, as always, with Ben the Liberty Hippie. How are you doing today, Ben? Oh, I am doing quite well, Nikki. How are you doing? Well, I'd be doing better if uh, you know I wasn't listening to the news right now as we record this about one of our brethren of the Liberty uh, Mind up yeah. in our old home state getting uh, railroaded and maybe kicking off the boogaloo while we're sitting here in Georgia and Ohio, respectively. I know. I know. It's it's uh it's weird. It's weird to think about. It's weird trying to, to trying to focus on other things and you can't. Yeah, weird to. Think about the fact that I have a kid, and those motherfuckers, uh, you know, they threaten him with CPS. I'm glad I'm not a guns person, but, well, you know, it is what it is. So, we had a topic today that... Uh, speaking of guns. Yes, speaking of guns. Um, this one, I'm going to kind of... I kind of may want to let you take a little bit of the reins on, because I'm going to be honest. Uh, as, as I was telling you the other day, uh, it's the most boring thing in the world to me. And I respect that people do it. And... I'm glad they do, but it's it's just not my thing. And that thing is hunting. Yeah, yeah, man. Uh, so I, I'm I hunt. I'm not like an avid hunter. I won't like pour oodles of money into you know all the, the high tech stuff. Um, but I, I do like to put some extra meat in the freezer. Um, and so anyway, I. I I live on 20 acres. Uh, my neighbors on one side have 10. The neighbors on the other side have like 30. Um, and our southern line all, all together, you know, we all are run parallel sort of there. And so there's this big swath of land behind us, probably like four or 500 acres. And uh, it's, uh, it's owned by a timber company. And so while they're letting the timber grow, they, they lease their land out. Um, to a, a hunting club in Atlanta. And so for the past few years, um, you know, everything's good. They're out there. They're usually like, it's, it's usually a bunch of old retired guys. Um, and they're just out there like nonstop. And it kind of sucks because, you know, if I, if I want to try to get something, I got to get out there early and, and um, hope that whatever is wandering around out there can, can make it through their gauntlet and onto my property. But either way, you know, that's, how it goes and it's not been too bad um this year and it could just be circumstance i don't know or happenstance i I don't know but um i've seen some some smaller deer uh get butchered yearlings that um really aren't any bigger than my great pyrenees who's like six months old you know they're they're not big and if you're putting meat in the freezer i guess it's tender but it's not like uh you know you're not putting too much in the freezer and most most hunters are going to look at a yearling and take a pass on it. Even if even if you're just out there to put meat in your freezer, you're going to take a pass and you know save the shot and save scaring all the animals in the area. You know, let the animal get bigger for next year, and and you know who knows, possibly have more babies or or you know just be a buck and and get big. Um, and so. You know, I got to thinking about that a little bit. I, I posted something in the in uh, a Discord that I, I have set up for uh, my other podcast, and got to talking about it in uh, Austin. I don't know his last name is Broderson, Broderson or something. He uh, had mentioned that how how would this work in in Kapistan, Right? We have our idea that uh, private property will stop people from 
you know, over hunting or, or overfishing kind of, right? Like it's, uh, if I own, you know, if I own my land, I'm probably not going to overhunt it because I know that next year I'm going to want to hunt something. Um, if I put, you know, 400 pounds of meat in the freezer this year and none next year, it's kind of, kind of stupid, you know, spread that out. Um, and it, you know, that's kind of how I imagine things, but then I'm confronted with this present situation that, that I'm seeing, you know, that, um, the land behind me is it's private, but it's also leased out and, and you're running into this. And so how, how do we go from there? What do we think about it? How does it, how does it all work? You know, uh, we all know common land, community land, um, public lands are just kind of, it's a crapshoot, you know, half a mile down the road for me. I have a, uh, it's called a, they call it a wildlife management area down here. Uh, it's like 6,000, 6,000 acres. And, uh, it's open basically just for hunting. There's a boat launch so people can get on the river from there. But, um, you know, it's, it's a mess at the end of the hunting season. It's a mess. Like I will go out there with a garbage can and just fill it up, um, with like, you know, spent propane cylinders, old tarps, old tents, uh, beer cans, all all sorts of just garbage that people leave because they don't care because some poor schlep like myself is going to come clean it up because um, I like to use it when when no one is hunting. Uh, so I don't know. It's kind of kind of where it all started. Um, okay. Well, the first thing I want to say is you're thinking about this very narrowly because you're thinking about this from a purely like from purely private property standpoint, but you're not taking into the equation the thing that's really going to be the effect, and that is that you're going to have private regulation and not government regulation. And so many of the problems aren't who owns the land per se. It's all the ways in which the government gets to step in and tell you what anyone can do with the land. How many, like the whole idea of licensing, how many animals you can pick up and them having a say in that matter is ludicrous. Just that alone, the way that that's going to affect what is the availability of animals is going to be a serious, serious, um, it's going to be something that's going to affect things drastically. Honestly, like. Some degree, I think, I think with. On private property. Well, it's the thing. On private property, you're still not allowed to shoot any more deer than your license allows. You're right. Um, (laughs) But but that doesn't stop anybody. Let's just say that doesn't stop anybody. I I know plenty of people that will get out there before season starts. I know people that will tag animals without a license, um, you know, and that's pretty much the way it goes, I think, for for a lot of guys that, um, you know, growing up in New York, I didn't know anybody that hunted on, on public lands. I didn't know anybody that. Yeah. And same with me. Like I, I've never known, I don't hunt myself, but I grew up around hunters and I don't know anyone yeah. on public property. It was always somebody owned a bunch of acres and you, you know, you'd have your times. It was better to get out there with fewer hunters, but you know, and that's it. Like the, the regulations are there, you know, for public property and, and too for private property, but at the same time, you know, it's the same thing with drug laws and, and gun laws. Like if, if I want to break them, I'm going to break them. You know, if I want to take an animal out of season, I can, and I will, you know, people are, are going to do that. And that's just the way. Well, but you're talking about, see, and this is where, where, where we're going to get at. You're talking about from a purely hunting perspective. And that's not what I think is important. Cause I think what's really important is what is going to happen as far as the commercial sector. Cause I think, 
that you're going to find, like you know, much like they do fish hatcheries and things of that nature, I think mm. you're going to find actual breeding would become a more important thing. And you, you're going to find, you know, controlled, like more controlled habitats as people try to make the experience more valuable. And I think that y- y- there's no incentive to do that when the industry is so regulated by government in the first place. Probably to, to some degree. I think that, I mean, there's a few ranches you know, down in like Texas, I think there was one actually up in New Hampshire mm-hmm. that um, would would bring animals in, and then you could you know hunt them. And I I want to say they actually had boars, like wild pigs, in there, feral hogs. That well, got somebody out. like I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. Somebody wrote this in in like the Tom Woods group where I posted about it, and <laughs> I think I sent it to you yesterday. And you're just like, what is this lunatic going on about? <laughs> but in truth, it was so funny to read. And this is the first response I got to asking about, you know, any hunters in here and how do you think hunting would work in Afghanistan? This is what I get. Hi, I'm Steve Harrington of Steve Harrington's Wildlife Preserve and Hunting Resorts. Have you ever wanted to hunt lion or buffalo or saber-toothed tiger? You can here. We've scientifically engineered many species of animal that you are free to roam our 10,000-acre site and hunt at your will. Each kill costs the same as it does to produce a replacement, so there is no danger of depopulation. All aspects of the animal are recycled, so there's no waste. At Steve Harrington's Wildlife Preserve and Hunting Resort, there is no tragedy of the commons, only the thrill of the hunt. Yeah, well, I, I think that's... I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I don't think I got the whole thing. I didn't get to all the uh, talk about replacement of, of animals, but yeah, I think that's spot on. I'm pretty sure the guy was being facetious. Obviously he said saber toothed tigers in there. Well, to some degree, but that's something else. Like, do we know that we won't have like the technology to do that at some point? Mm -hmm. I mean, and this whole thing gets, gets pulled back into like, even right now where you have the game hunting and you have trophy hunting over in Africa, things of that nature, like the amount of money that can be brought in on, say, hunting something that's incredibly rare goes a long way on the conservation side. Oh, for sure. Uh, one of the commenters on the thread I started, she said, like, you end up getting a lot of people who, the the conservation people, they end up okaying some really, really crazy bills because of they want more money going to toward the conservation efforts, and all of the money going there is tied into these just absolutely ludicrous things. And so you end up getting weird regulations because, you know, people want to have that, uh, they want to have the, the rules go the way they want them to go to maximize their own little, you know, piece of the pie, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a big part of that mm, conservation mindset, you know, like it's almost like by any means necessary, you're, you're going to, you know, save the whales and uh, it, it, whatever cost, and um, that's that's not a good thing either. Uh, I, I do think the private property thing is a a good place to start, and that might be you know something where where Ted Turner turns uh, you know one tenth of his his massive property out there into a, a big hunting ranch, and, and you know lots of other people do that. Um, and you could have you know you have access to all that stuff, and that's that's great. Uh, but at the same time, it's, it's one of those things where like this, that, like I, I mentioned this before, I think, um, I guess just the environment is one of the issues that kind of gets me hung up sometimes. And, and, you know, I, I do, I understand the private property aspect, and, but at the same time, it just, it's, uh, 
it's interesting to think about how animal ranges, you know, they, they don't, they don't care about our lines and, and our borders and, and our rules. Um, so how, do, how does that all work? Like you were saying earlier, how does that work with, with big lakes? Right. Um, yeah, that was one of the ones that was actually, it seemed like a more complicated problem to you know solve because, you know, it's easy to draw lines out on your, uh, <laughs> but then again, we're, we're moving into a digital age. Like there's nothing to talk, say you can't geofence out on a lake and know like, oh, well, I'm in within my property rights on this lake. Right. And, you know, when I'm outside of this particular, you know, there's a lot of options I think that ultimately could play in. Like the whole private property and property lines thing could be managed so much differently and like a grand global scale. <laughs> given given the yeah. technology we're moving into, you know, we start moving into blockchain solutions for that kind of shit, and like that's that's awesome. Um, yeah. But, but in the meantime, yeah, you, there's a tragedy of the commons in that. Like you were mentioning, you know, well, fish move from one place to another. I think that that's one of the things someone mentioned is you know you're not allowed to feed deer on your property, you know, because I guess it would influence the deer is probably the reasoning behind the law. Depends on what. Depends on the state you're in. That's I can do that down here in Georgia. Okay. Well, so what do you care about? What they're doing over on that 500 acres? Just have better food on your property, and you get all, get your pick of the pick of the whole hunt. You know. Well, and and that's yeah, you, you can right, and that's all well and good until you know someone cleans out an area. Well, and that that was actually one of the things that someone um, another person posted was that he's like he's like I used to think that I was a conservative hunter, and then I bought property, and I was wrong. I am now a far more conservative hunter because it doesn't make yeah. sense for me to kill everything on my property now when right. I can need it for next year. Uh, that's how I hunt. Uh, I'm, I'm fairly certain that's how my neighbor hunts. And the issue is where, where I am, you know, it's, it's private property behind me, but then it's leased out to someone that lives, you know, two hours away um, mm. that isn't quite aware of sort of the intricacies of it all i think you know you're free to do with your land as you will and if that is leasing out someone that's going to hunt in that manner well what can you do to tank their property values if you want to get rid of them <laughs> well that's it's it's crazy down here the amount of land that is owned by by timber companies and they've picked it up like years ago and it's just a matter of of them not wanting to to get rid of it um, well i mean ultimately that land will be profitable at some point right you know it just goes through its cycles yeah, yeah they could turn around and drop it right now for huge profit but they they don't you know then why should they they're just going to keep well no but that was, that was what i'm saying is like they you know they go in and they do the trees every every couple of years or depending on how they're they, they manage their business yeah. you know some places might do a yearly cycling and just you know do the call and then keep going others might do like five years replant go back in yeah um I don't know exactly how the one around you does, but you know, clearly there's some value in it to those hunting groups. That's what I'm thinking that eventually they'll, I imagine some of the older hunters will probably say something to them uh, yeah. when they realize, you know, what's going on. I guess here's the question that I have is that, I mean, have you noticed it being coming an issue yet? See that, it, that's, because it could this be was, much ado about nothing. Like it probably is. Um, it, it probably is, you know, it's, it, this is the first year that, that I've 
seen it. Because if the hunting becomes shitty on there, those hunters are going to go away. There's no hunting camp on that property because there's no value in it. Right. You know, that's ultimately how the market would work on this, that if you if you, you go out and you completely decimate the population, there's going to be no joy in doing it. No one's going to pay the fees to utilize the property. So there's an incentive to keep things growing. I think um, in time, that, that is probably what will happen. You know, and it's it is probably much to do about nothing, at least on where I am now. Like I said, it's it's the first year that, that I've seen it, so who knows what kind of repercussions that will have. But all, all the same, I think it's an interesting, I don't know, thing to think about, you know, because, um, you know, public lands versus private lands versus, uh, you know, leased lands, I guess, um, mm-hmm. with a sort of that absentee landlord that, you know, all they care about is don't, don't bugger up our trees you know (laughs) well i mean but you say that but yeah like i said ultimately what happens when those people that you know lease the property in the off season stop wanting to do it well i think they're they're in like a five-year contract 10-year contract and eventually it it would if that's you know what they they do but uh, why don't you go get in that hunting group it's they're out of atlanta and i have no interest in, in paying money to to go try to shoot something on something okay well i mean yeah i guess that's the point so i mean yeah whatever value it has it hasn't um it hasn't changed the equation for you as to what the value of hunting is so clearly you're still finding value in your land i think that there's also a simple matter if you do have your 20 acres if they fucking overhunt the shit out of it those deer are just gonna move off the property someplace else probably onto yours and your neighbor's property where it's safer and then you have to kind of protect your property versus the other property because i mean deer they're not just inherently going to stay in one place and have their population right. decimated are they no well and that's what I, you would think that they they would and think that they may not happen immediately but i mean well and that's and 20 acres sounds like you know a lot and my neighbor has like 30 and that sounds like a lot but when you compare it to the hundreds of acres behind us you know it's not that much and the way the roads are set up we almost act like a buffer from the road so they're kind of more likely to go the opposite direction which you know whatever that's just the nature of things and it, it's and it, this is just my situation and i'm not complaining so much about that or, or it's, just, it's more of a kind of an example just mm-hmm. something that made me made me think for a minute like what's what's going on here well yeah it put the idea in your head like how do we handle this like this is a this could be a complicated issue and and i mean any ancap will tell you like you're not gonna solve all the world's problems by you know with an ancap society you're still gonna have like messy elements that need dealt with by people you know our whole thing is just do we gonna justify i'm sure i'm sure the bureau of land management or whatever it is has a swat team because every other department in the government has a swat team have i think they've used it already who shot LaBoy finnegan was the blm wasn't it uh i I, no, i think that was feds like i mean i think it was literally just just the feds but i mean the initial standoff was obviously with the bureau of land management that that whole thing is uh that's a bit of a train wreck to wrap your head around, honestly. No, it's that'd be a good episode if somebody with with a guest who knew the intricacies of what actually uh heard there. You listened to uh I have, I have. He's um, had quite a few of them. I don't know. In all of these instances, like there is the part of me that just who do you trust on it? Like I can't don't wanna just carte blanche jump the conspiracy, you know. Right. <laughs> the conspiracy train and it's oh no the cops it's always the cops because you know the part of fact of the matter is that there's a half truth in, in a lot of it because they need it to be that way otherwise it, they wouldn't really have what they need to our hatred of the government tends to <laughs> let us see what we want to see in a lot of these situations unfortunately yeah 
It's, uh, I just, I don't know where to go with it. You know, sometimes it is and I can rest and, and ideally that's, that's how things go. But, um, you know, it's. So, so is it like overuse of the land that you see would be the thing that you're concerned about the most? The reason I, I, I ask is because, I mean, we can see even with modern conservation efforts since like in Africa, that private property is always the great equalizer to bringing back endangered species and dealing with uh, like poachers and things of that nature. When you have large, um, corrupt private or public lands, they mm-hmm. tend to not utilize the funds well and tend to have the issues where you're, you know, mass slaughter. Right. When you have a well-maintained private property, you tend to be able to keep things alive because there's incentive to do it. I want to keep that check coming in for the next 200 years as opposed to just right now. Yeah, no, and that's, I think, I mean, we, we have seen that in, in like Africa and stuff. And I, and I can see how that would work with large swaths of land. I think for my thinking when, you know, what it looks like in, in, in suburbia or even in some rural parts where, you know, everybody's on their, their two acres or five acres maybe. And, you know, it, it's not public lands, but, you know, the animals are almost public animals, if you will. Right. Cause they don't. Uh, and, and if I'm on five and my neighbor's on five and everybody around me is on like five acres, it doesn't matter what. I do or how I manage things. If someone wants to be, you know, just slaughter whatever. Well, you know, I, I guess honestly, my response to that is if you want to have greater control over the population, then you just mm-hmm. have to foot the fucking bill and buy the property to right. do that. Like that's unfortunately how it would have to work. I, I, I agree. And I think, but I think you would see, I think some of that, if you didn't have to pay like taxes on your land, I think you would see some of that a little bit more. You know, I think of like New York or, or Vermont, where where I was before. Well, and 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 that kind of brings me back to my point. Like, so while that land is super valuable to that forestry company, you know, and it has its value to that hunting club, I think if you get rid of all public lands and you move to a strictly private, you get rid mm-hmm. of the regulations. I think that that prop- property is going to become valuable for that specific use more than it is now. Because when you have the public option, it tends to crowd mm-hmm. out investment in the private option. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, because there are affordable ways to kind of deal with it, people aren't going to invest. It's not going to show, it's going to obfuscate the value that is really in that particular, you know, yeah. market. That's where I think I kind of ended up. I mean, we may find that hunting is incredibly valuable in an ANCAP world, you know, we, we don't know. That's that's the thing. The whole problem with the the without the price calculation as it is right now is that we have no idea what things are really worth. We don't know what fossil fuels really cost next to the <laughs> the anything. Yeah, because they're so highly subsidized, and then you, it's just you you subsidize one thing, then you subsidize another. We don't know what anything mm-hmm. costs. We may find that energy is so much more expensive than we think it is when we remove all of the subsidies and that are that exist out there and. No, we, we've done so much to destroy all price signals in basically every market at this point. Like, the, who knows? Yeah. Like maybe the vegans would get their way if we just let all of the all of the meat markets sell at like the actual price. But no one knows what that price is because uh, the entire agricultural industry is so just propped up from one place to the next. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it, we were talking the other day about how you could just go out and collect a check for not growing corn on your property as long as you file the fucking yeah. paperwork right. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I know, right? And that's, and that's, by the way, that you're not the first person I've ever heard. I know people up in New York that used to do shit like that. Their, yeah. their, their property was worth more 
not doing anything with. And that doesn't make any sense. Like, you should be able to <laughs> do something with said property. Or in, or the not doing anything value is in, you know, saving what's there for later consumption. Yeah. And that's, it, yeah, it goes back, yeah. <laughs> it goes back to the value of it all. You know, sometimes land is better left untouched and no doubt you'd have people that uh, that agree with that sentiment and would do that. But right now it's... Uh, well, more importantly... Some land would just naturally be untouched because the mm-hmm. infrastructure that's necessary to utilize it would just cost too much. Yeah. You know, that that's that's something that like everyone always talks, well, the great interstate system that, you know, connects everyone. <laughs> well well, yeah. It costs a lot of money. They don't maintain it properly. And maybe people shouldn't have been doing all that travel. Maybe it's it's not cost effective as a use of resources. Maybe we should have a little less travel that way. And we can, it's, it's spreading the value or spreading out the use too much. I wonder if we could get Greta, Greta on our side to help shut down the interstate. <laughs> no, it's a serious, th- seriously though, like, you know, you think about that and how much, how much we, how much easier we've made travel. And I understand, you know, like transporting goods and, you know, vegetables and all your, your agricultural products from the Midwest out, but at the same time, at what cost? And we don't know. You have no idea. It's impossible to tell. Well, it's not. We don't. Not only do we not know the cost, we don't know who that burden is on, because you've you've played a shell game with who actually pays that cost. It's not the people that should pay the cost. The people that use those goods. It's been spread loaded across the entire population, which makes it feel perhaps you know less. It makes it feel like it's less put upon on other people like on certain people. But that's the whole point is that unless you put upon the people that actually use the resources, we don't know the true value of anything. You know, and if you want to rip people off, sure, that is a good way to to do it. But if you want to have a well-functioning market and understand the value behind the things that exist in it, it's about the worst thing you could possibly do. I, I, it's, you wonder how, how you can get away from that. You know, how, how can we do that without just blowing everything up helicopters you know? yeah good luck <laughs> yeah um yeah no i mean I, there's part of me that thinks the only thing that can happen is a collapse you know it's mm-hmm. it is it, i i don't want to be a collapsitarian but man people have bought in so hard on this whole socialism thing and you know I, how do they not see like it continues to repeat itself in every way through history yeah. a little bit of it a lot of it it always ends in the same place yeah i uh, i don't know it boggles my mind cuz I, I try to i try to imagine how you could get stuck in that and uh i don't know when you start actually thinking following things through it just it, i don't know how you could not say no um, i don't know how you could look at that and say this is a this is a great idea unless you unless you're on the benefiting side look at know. all the population centers i want to ask you like you know how many people who live in new york city have spent any time hunting ever in their life yeah how many of them have ever stepped foot in you know allegheny or cataraugus county you know they, they have no idea what that life is and so they couldn't they couldn't even grasp the value of anything in that particular world in the most abstract of senses even if they could see it they couldn't understand it because it's not a part like uh, so many factors aren't a part of the world they live in yeah well, that was like that guy um i forget it was it two weeks ago now three weeks ago maybe that, that, that i forget who he was but he was somebody he was a blue check mark you know on twitter mm-hmm. had had no clue 
why the landscape looked like it did, what all those squares down below him was like, you know, like people just, there's, you have no clue. Like this is your food, man. Like, like you've never seen a farm in your life. Like you don't yeah. understand the way farming works. Like, haven't you seen enough scenes in a fucking movie to piece that together? <laughs> like, <laughs> I just feel like, I, I don't know. I, I can't even like, to me, that just has to be a troll. I don't know that I can live in a world where that's something that someone genuinely thinks. I could, I could see it maybe, but like you, you remember when they, you remember when that woman got off the plane, like in Africa or whatever, making, she made that joke before she got on about, you know, I'm headed to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Oh wait, I'm white. <laughs> what? You know, you never heard about that? No, no. Yeah. She like, she like lost her career over this. Okay. It was, and it was an offhanded joke, but it was a shitty joke. No arguments. But she put her phone on, you know, airplane mode. And then when she got off, her Twitter had blown up. She'd lost her job. <laughs> like, I mean, it was what I think a 10 hour flight. And over the course of this 10 hour flight, she had no idea what was going on in the world around her. She just mm-hmm. made a bad joke, got off a plane and found out her entire life was destroyed. I would rather see that happen to the fucking moron posting about, oh, what are, wh- why does it look like this? This is disgusting. It doesn't make any sense. These people need to move into cities. Please take away that guy's job. Yeah, right? The things we get upset about, things people get upset about sometimes, it's like uh, just weighing what's out there, like the, the real genuine thoughts that are that are out there and like the absurdity of it all. Yeah, we were, we were initially going to talk about that, uh, <laughs> that, that uh, article that was going on around about the guy who was just disgusted by all the people that live in the country. Yeah. <laughs> Supposed uh, Berkeley professor. Yeah, uh, from what you said, it was it was definitely a troll. Yeah, yeah. I have met people that think that way, but I, you know, I couldn't really. And and that's the thing, though. Like that, that's it. You know, he he was trolling, but there are people out there that uh, that wouldn't be a troll. You, you know, all that, need that's to move a to genuine city. thought process. Like, but there is there is something that I do. Th- once again, it factors into this whole thing is that people need to think high speed internet out in the sticks. Mm-hmm. Should be incredibly expensive. Yeah, like the way we way that we subsidize things, and yeah. maybe there could, the companies themselves could do the subsidization themselves if they wanted to. But things in the country should be a hell of a lot more expensive than they are in cities. And I think we kind of spread load things in a way, you know, because of you know the way infrastructure is subsidized that. It hides those costs. So once again, people don't really understand the value of things in certain places. No, that's that's uh, very true. I remember when I, I moved in where I live now, um, you had to get satellite. You had to have satellite internet. Um, and that's exactly it. Like some people do know, like, because if you have to take that option and then you see your data caps and see what you get in a month yeah. and how much it costs, like... I tell you right now, you live in a city, you have no idea what internet really costs. Oh no, no I, I just, yeah, because when, when we lived in New York City, we lived in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, it was, you know, fairly fairly cheap comparatively. Um, yeah. You know, in another place I lived, uh, you know, it was a small city, but there was like free Wi-Fi everywhere. Um, you know, I, I never paid for internet. Uh, yeah, you pop into a freaking deli and pop into the the Starbucks. There's places you can go, and there's just a round. Yeah, I had a I had a fancy cantenna. Made a made an antenna out of a coffee can, and that was my internet for a year. That's crazy. Years. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, there was, like I said, there's definitely a lot to think about uh, as far as, you know, hunting in Ancapistan goes. I think I, th- I think that no matter what, the way, any way you slice it, private property only works out good. I think it will reform things in certain ways that, are yep. you know, we're not used to. But the end result will be, you know, more value placed and more appropriate value placed on you know, the animals themselves. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I think that's like the big takeaway of it all. You know, who knows? Maybe, maybe we'll see more of that. I would love to see more of that, you know, remove some of the subsidies and let the real costs actually shine through. I think what we need to do is we need to take one of the suggestions from that, uh, that Tom Woods thread I started and get, uh, Ted Nugent on here and we'll talk to him about it. <laughs> That, that would be. We should do that. We should do that. I'll, I'll make a few calls and we'll see what we can do. All right. You know, All shortly, right. shortly, shortly after Joel Salatin, right? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm. I'm holding out on, on asking, Mr. Salatin onto, uh, onto my show. But I'd love to, love to get him on. I heard he's fairly approachable. So who knows? I mean, I can't imagine he isn't. I, I know that Liz knew. Like, what's funny is Liz knew was like more acquainted with Joel than I was because. When, uh, when she was indoctrinated into the Chipotle world, he was a big part of that story for a long time because I believe it was his pork farm that they were getting all of their pork from. And then at a certain point, he couldn't maintain like distribution for something that large and they had to move on. Right. But it was, it was funny that my wife had <laughs> like, she, she was familiar with Joel Salatin before I was nice. All right, boss. We well, you have yourself a good day and to all of our, uh, our people out there continue to share and show the podcast around. Um, I really want to get this thing growing, you know? So if there's uh there's people you think that would benefit from this, I don't care if they're Republicans, maybe they don't have to be anarchists like I am. Um, I think that everyone values, you know, everyone can get value from what we talk about because, I mean, the principles themselves, free markets, free markets, you know, it's it's good for them, it's good for us. The only people it doesn't, isn't really good for is commies. So stop by freemarketscreenearth.com, check out the episodes, check through the show notes. Um, I believe my wife is actually planning on going through and listening to our episodes and kind of fluffing up our show notes a little bit Ooh. <laughs> like i well she was gonna sit down the other day and like do direct transcription of the whole fucking thing and i'm like honey i think you got better uses your time than that but if you want to re-listen and kind of hi- pick out highlights and maybe put piece together some actual <laughs> articles based on it have at it because <laughs> i mean it could only be valuable but um don't listen to like <laughs> two hours of me and Ben rambling with some random person <laughs> and then like get it word for word. There's going to be a whole lot of me and Ben like, I mean, like seriously, bro. <laughs> so. Oh, gracious. Happy Thanksgiving. It's, it's Thanksgiving. Is this, what, is this coming out on Thanksgiving day? Is that yeah. Thursday? Nice. Thursday. Well, happy Thanksgiving. So hopefully people are listening to this while they're out sleeping under a tree. Yeah. Or to tears. Cause that's how I think of hunting. That's uh, you know, how I, how I do. <laughs> Eat too many cocktails and a nice warm day and hard hard ten k in the morning and nothing like a nap. I did laugh at you. You were telling me about your day, and I was like, "That's an awful lot of drinking before going out with a gun." But you know, well, you know, I mean, it's their own. If it's your property. I don't really care. I'll tell you what to do with it's, it. You know, it, it wasn't just you know a couple a couple drinks, just enough to uh, just enough to pass out under a tree in the cold. 
It, well, it, but sometimes Thanksgiving can be, you know, you have a seasonal Thanksgiving where it's almost like hot. Um, and it's just, it's nice. You're all kind of bundled up, sun shining and close your eyes for a minute. And... I guess I grew up in New York and don't remember much of those, Ben. Okay. Well, it happened once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, you folks all have yourself a good Thanksgiving. Take it easy, Ben. All right, brother. Take care, man. Yeah.